Hey everybody, welcome to the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast, dedicated to raising awareness, sharing IBD stories, and offering support for those with Crohn's and colitis. Together, we can share knowledge, experiences, and help show the world the many faces of IBD. Well, hi, everyone. Thank you for joining me today for another episode of the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Gish, Crohn's warrior since 2006 and lifelong fitness fanatic. My guest today is Sean Bethia. She's a Crohn's warrior, blogger, and patient advocate. She's here to share her journey with IBD, tips and tricks she's learned over the years, and how she balances life with Crohn's. Thank you so much for joining me today, Sean, and welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I am excited to have you here. I love being able to share the stories of all of our fellow IBD warriors, so I'm excited that you're on with me today. So let's go ahead and jump right in. Why don't you start by sharing your Crohn's story and a little bit of the lead up to how you were diagnosed? Um, so my Crohn's story is an interesting one. Um, I was actually diagnosed with ulcerative colitis um, back in 2009. And I had experienced like a lot of symptoms before then, um, blood in the stool, very fatigued, um, a lot of abdominal pain, things like that. So I was finally diagnosed with ulcerative colitis in 2009, had it really bad, didn't really respond to pretty much any medications, um, tried a lot of different things, even lost insurance at one point. So I had to go through that kind of battle. After years of trying different medications um, and trying different kind of treatments, then I actually had surgery between 2014 and 2015. So I lived with an ostomy for about six months. And after that, in the middle of 2015, I had my brand new J pouch. And unfortunately, Mm -hmm. in 2019, so a little bit earlier this year, I was diagnosed with Crohn's. Wow. So what was the deciding factor of realizing that it actually was Crohn's all these years? Well, it's, it, see, it was so interesting. It wasn't really a surprise, but it kind of was. So for me, for years, my doctors had always went back and forth between, is this ulcerative colitis or is this Crohn's disease? Because although um, you know, a lot of my symptoms did present in my colon, I still had a lot of things going on, you know, even in my mouth and like not to get Mm -hmm. TMI, but in my anus, like stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So that's um, that's what they say, mouth to anus, that's Crohn's disease. Exactly. So I was lucky enough to get it, you know, from mouth to anus, literally, my body took it literally. And um, yeah, so the doc, my doctor and even my surgeon, um, when I was getting my J pouch, he really didn't even he wasn't confident in my diagnosis. So he was kind of hesitant to give me a J pouch. But luckily, um, you know, even with my J pouch, and even with having Crohn's, I'm still doing a lot better than what I was. That's good to hear. Let's talk a little bit about the surgery. Tell me what that was like, the lead up to, you said you had an ostomy for six months, and then I think the J pouch came later. Tell me a little bit about kind of the lead up for that and what the deciding factor was to say, okay, this is the course we need to go ahead and take. Um, Before that, I think I was just so miserable. Honestly, I can't even think of another word to describe it. I was in my doctor's Mm -hmm. office probably every single week 
Um, I would literally have to take off of work. I would come either from work or directly after, and I would be sitting in a chair barely, like, barely there. Mentally, I was so gone. Um, He could see how distraught I was. He could see that no medication was working, and he tried to have hope. I try to have hope um, every time he presented another option, but as the options started kind of dwindling down because we'd gone through this for years, then we kind of became more realistic about it and more realistic that my health was declining very fast. And it came to the point where it's like, how much time do we really have to give to another treatment before I'm so severe that it doesn't become an option and it's actually just an emergency surgery? So we kind of came to that point in early 2014, but I still wasn't confident in in everything. Honestly, I didn't understand ostomies and I definitely didn't understand J pouches. Um, so I did a lot of research from early 2014 to late 2014 is when every time, like I would schedule the appointment at the surgeon's office and then I would cancel it. And I tell them like, no, you know, never mind. Um, like I'll call back when I'm ready. And it was just a consultation, but even that felt like a commitment. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, even while my health was declining, I really just wanted to be sure and confident in my decision. And ultimately, I kind of made that decision late 2014. Um, And then I had like another unfortunate Crohn's event. So it had to be pushed back even later. So I was having my surgery basically around Christmas of 2014. Oh, no. Yeah, that was a a bummer holiday. (laughs) Yeah. So what was it? You spent pretty much the majority of a a full year researching your surgery that you were about to have. What was it that finally made you feel confident and comfortable that this was the right choice? Doing my research, I found only one person online who was talking about having a J pouch and the life with an ostomy prior to that. And she was so she was such a wonderful person and the way that she talked about her life right now which in the current phase she had a j pouch um mm-hmm. she was the only person that i saw that actually at the time because now we have a lot more advocates which is so helpful but back then she was the only person that i saw that was actually talking positively about it so i was like that gave me the confidence to go into the consultation and that was just what i needed because from there the surgeon he was the most amazing person that i'd ever met in my life he was so sweet and like literally i had a list full of questions i kid you not it was mm-hmm. like 50 or 60 questions <laughs> And he answered every single one of them. Our consultation was like, normally it's probably like 30 minutes. Ours was an hour and a half. Wow. That's awesome that he took that time to really sit and go through all of your questions with you. Yes. And my friend, it was so funny because my friend actually had the same surgeon years later. And she asked him if he knew me. And he was like, that girl came in with so many (laughs) And I'm like, well, at least he remembers. <laughs> you made a, you left a mark on him. <laughs> oh, that's good. So tell me a little bit about, you said you spent, you had the surgery, you spent six months with the, with an ostomy. So what changed? How was that? How did that change your life? Did you get your quality of life back? And tell me a little bit about that story from there. Yeah. So it did change my life in a lot of different ways. Um, at first having it, it was a very 
kind of diff- it was a difficult adjustment period because it's something that's so new. It's like living a completely different life from what you're trying to live because for 20 years I have been doing everything one way and now I have to learn how to do it the basically the complete opposite. So, it changed my life in that way and then I had to learn and I had to learn to advocate for myself and to do my research and to um like it was gone were the days where I could just be treat like someone could look at me so like how you can go to the hospital and if you have the flu they know the abcs they know what to do Mm -hmm. no one knew what an ostomy was no one knew if they knew what an ostomy was they didn't know what the ins and outs of it so it was it was a learning process learning how to advocate for myself and learning to even explain it to other people and then my second ostomy because I had to in the second one it was it was like a completely different it was a completely different life but it was very it was much harder even though they were both ostomies they were from two different parts of the intestine so it was it was hard it was real it was extremely hard like much harder than the normal kind of quote unquote the normal ostomy life and the normal adjustments that you have to get used to because it was it was a lot involved with that one and what required the second ostomy so because just because of the way the surgeries were set out so it's broken down into three different surgeries the first one is the colectomy so getting your colon removed and then you just have an ostomy or an ileostomy. But then the second one, you get your J pouch formed. So it's going to be a different part of your intestine because now your intestine is formed into a J and now you're um, starting to kind of get adjusted to the J pouch. Mm -hmm. So just having that, it was not what I expected at all. From my first ostomy to my second one was very different. Mm -hmm. So looking back on your experience, what advice would you give to someone who is maybe facing this same path? I would tell them to just um, definitely have a support system. You need a lot of support. I went into it thinking that, um, you know, it's just me and I could handle everything. And that totally wasn't the case. Um, And also to just do your research and maybe like make friends that have ostomies because there is so much involved and there's so much to learn about it. Granted, you don't want you don't have to learn every single thing, but just learning like the products that suit you as opposed to the products they actually give you and Mm -hmm. how to even order supplies. That's a lot. Those are great tips, and I, I really think it cannot be emphasized enough how important it is for people with IBD to ask for help and to allow people to support us because I hear it so often, just like you just mentioned, where it's like, I, I thought I was strong enough, I can handle it on my own. It's almost like we all have this personality of just, I can do everything myself, I don't need help, and it and we really need to allow people to help us because it, we do go through some very critical times and I think it can't be overemphasized enough to just allow people to help you. They want to help. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. And I think it's also because of like the condition that we have and like the embarrassing moments that come along with it. We kind of get adjusted to doing everything by ourselves so Mm -hmm. much so that we become so independent that we're like, okay, we don't even understand times that we need help. 
Exactly. I think you hit the nail on the head there. (laughs) (laughs) So you've had your J pouch since 2015. Is that correct? You've about four years now? Yes. And so how is, how's Crohn's affecting your IBD? How is that affecting your day-to-day life now? Because you, you mentioned you were doing better now, but you seem to be in a really good spot. So tell me a little bit about what, after the surgeries, finally got you to this point where you're feeling feeling good. Yeah. Um, so after the surgeries, it's honestly a whole different world. <laughs> like mm-hmm. It is just so... I can't even explain it from where I was to where I am now. It's not even apples and oranges. It's like comparing like two whole different lives because now I'm just like, I'm able to do the things that I would have never even dreamed about doing. Like when I had, um, when I had my colon, then I like, I wouldn't even want to go down the street. And so now, like, with the J-Pouch, I'm traveling internationally. And this is something I would have never, like, never even guessed. Or even, like, being able to actively go to the gym or um, just hang out with my friends or eat what I want in a day. It's just, it's kind of, like, mind-blowing to see how far I've come. You're actually living life now. Yeah, yeah. And before, I couldn't even, like... I couldn't relate to anything anyone else was doing. Like even when people would just go to a restaurant, I'm just like, well, it, it takes a lot. You know, you it takes a lot of planning. You have to know where everything is, where are the bathrooms, what are they serving? And now mm-hmm. I'm just like, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> you could just be a, a regular human. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Everybody else is doing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so are you on any other medications after the surgery? Do you use anything to help control the symptoms day to day? Yes. Um, so I am on a biologic medication. Are, are we allowed to say medication names here? Yeah. <laughs> We're not sponsored by anyone, but go ahead and just share your story. <laughs> so, yeah. so I'm on Stellara and I've really saw, um, I've seen a lot of improvements. I've, um, because before, Prior to being diagnosed with Crohn's, like a few months before is when my J pouch just kind of really started deteriorating. Like I was going to the bathroom more. I would have leaks at night. I would um, like, even though you've had your colon removed, you still have a lot of extra intestinal manifestations. Mm -hmm. And a lot of stuff was just like, my body just didn't seem to be at peace. So even though I was better than what I was prior to my surgeries, I still wasn't, um, I still wasn't like at my ideal stage of IBD. And that, that was hard for me to acknowledge because as someone who had been so sick for so long, I was like, oh, well, at least I'm better than what I was. So I'm willing to settle. But I finally, you know, had people around me that told me like, no, you don't need to settle. Like, if there's better, then you should shoot for better. And even like my new doctor and everything, they're kind of like pushing for, you know, obviously not perfect because there is still no cure. But at the same time, we we deserve at least a decent life. And I think that um, Stellara really gave me that. That is awesome to hear. And I think so many of us kind of develop that almost that warped perspective, the mindset of, well, I'm I'm good enough or this is better yeah. than I was. I'm I'm still able to do 
you know, certain things, not everything. And we kind of allow ourselves to get trapped in that moment. But it's just, you know, like you were saying, luckily you had you had doctors and other friends and family that were pushing you like, no, if, if there's better, let's shoot for better. You deserve better. Exactly. So let's jump over to food for a minute. I love talking about food. Uh, partly I'm obsessed with it, but <laughs> tell me a little bit. You you kind of mentioned earlier that now you're able to, you're eating anything you want, you go out anywhere, but tell me a little bit about that journey of what it was like before the surgeries and before really finding a good treatment plan. What was eating like for you? Because I know food is so different for everyone with IBD. So tell me a little bit about what your triggers were. Did you try different diets? Did you try things that worked or didn't work? And then kind of fast forward after that to life now. Yeah. So I pretty much, I would try anything. Like if it was online, if it was (laughs) on a piece of paper or a billboard or anything that said like, oh, and it's so much misinformation out there that it's so easy to go down that kind of wormhole, but I did it. I Mm -hmm. would like try these random diets that were literally like so unhealthy or like someone said like garlic. So I bought like a bunch (laughs) of garlic. And it was just, it was so bad because you're so desperate to be better, any version of better that you're willing to do anything. So I have tried, I tried so much prior to my surgeries. And then there was a point where I was barely eating in a day because I was working a lot and my symptoms were so active that I was just afraid of food and I didn't want to like I knew that I was already running to the bathroom. I didn't want to run more by eating, which is a terrible life. It's a terrible way to like think and be and you're basically starving yourself because because you're sick and then not even realizing it's making you sicker and weaker. But that was the, yeah, my lifestyle before surgery was mm-hmm. just, it was not a good one. I definitely relate a hundred percent to that because just like you, if it was online, I was ready to, I was willing to try it. And even though I knew a lot of the stuff I was looking at, like this is bogus and just ridiculous. I was like, but you know what? I got to try it anyways, because yeah. if, if it worked for maybe even one person out there, I'll just, what have I got to lose? So I tried everything and, um, it, very, very little worked. <laughs> and, <laughs> And then just like you, I I also went down that same path of where you just, you become afraid to eat anything. And that's such a a sad point to reach because you're just, you want to be social, you want to eat food, you want to just live a normal life, but you're just afraid of everything. And it's such a very different mentality and feeling than just, you know, than just skipping a meal just because you want to when you're actually afraid of food, so... Yeah. It's a rough spot to be. So I totally relate to that. And I think a lot of people kind of have gone down that same path. Yeah, for sure. Did you notice was anything, did you ever find any safe foods that you were able to stick with or anything that was notoriously one of the worst foods? <laughs> um, prior to surgery, probably, probably I couldn't find anything that was that was 100% safe, but I did find Mm -hmm. that like pasty soups kind of, they didn't do terrible. They, Mm -hmm. everything did at least bad, but pasty soups kind of like sat on my stomach to the point where I could maybe be okay for maybe 
a little bit longer than other foods. <laughs> Maybe 30 minutes. No. <laughs> <laughs> so what is it like now? Are you able to, do you have to watch anything that you eat or is it all pretty much fair game? <laughs> Um, you can eat what you want, but then it's also that thought in the back of your head that, you know, you only get one J pouch. And I try to remind mm-hmm. myself of that. And I try to just be conscious of what I'm putting into my body and what I'm doing. So I do have times where I'm like, okay, you know, I want to go to a fast food restaurant like everyone else. I want to just eat out like everyone else. But then I also like bring it back in and remind myself, okay, like you need to incorporate this. You need to incorporate that. You know that, um, you know, this is your only chance. And I want to, I want to do it right because I know that um, like when I'm older, I want to be in the same place of, you know, going places and doing things and not in the, the place that I was. I think that's a great perspective of finding that balance of being able to enjoy life a little bit. But I love how you just said you only get one J pouch. <laughs> and <laughs> and I think that really, really sets the tone for, you know, this is serious. I do need to take care of my body and I do need to be cautious and limit the times I'm eating out or eating junk. I think it's a great perspective. Are there certain foods that you try to focus on now to try and keep yourself in the best health that you can? I think the best diet um, by far that I've tried with my J pouch is pescatarianism, where the main meat that I'm eating is fish, is like some kind of fish. And because I find that like, especially not so much chicken, but like beef and and pork, especially they're so heavy that it's kind of like harder on my body and harder to break down. But when I'm on like this pescatarian diet, my skin starts doing better. It's so easy for me to, um, you know, go to the bathroom or empty my pouch. It's so like life just becomes kind of different, but it's also very much a commitment. So I'll be on it for six months and then I'll kind of dwindle off and then I'll come on it for another six months, which I'm trying to like every time I'm trying to shoot for longer. But that is like the best diet by far that I found for myself. And I know that my friend, she has an ostomy and she's done the same. And she's kind of like we've kind of like compared notes as far as like meat and like how how hard it is on the body and stuff. Um, but it's definitely like such an individualized condition. So I realized that like what works for me won't necessarily work for, you know, the next person, but that is what I found works best for myself. Yeah, that's a, that's great. It's a, it's a great way to eat too. And I love how you said you've got a friend that you compare notes with, because even though, just like you said, we're all different and what works for one person may not work for another person, but I think there is value in being able to kind of compare notes, so to speak. I've got a, a friend that also has some digestive issues, un- unresolved yet as to whether it you know, might be IBD, but she's always asking me like, how do you do with this food? How do you do with this food? Here's how I do. And it's just, it's interesting to get that perspective, but then it also kind of forces you to think a little bit and maybe brainstorm or look at foods a little different and kind of give you some ideas. So I like the idea of being able to compare notes. Yeah, that is super helpful. And that's like the type of relationships that I wish I would have had prior to surgery, just so that I could like have a go-to person. But I'm so grateful for, you know, that now. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because, you know, 2014, just five years ago, it's pretty 
impressive to think how much has changed with social media in just such a short time. And so when you said you were Googling and searching around and trying to find more information before your surgery and you only found one person talking about it, I mean, what a difference, you know, that compared to where we're at now with social media, where we have so many people stepping up to the plate, so to speak, and starting to share their stories and share their experiences. What a difference. Yes, it's so different now. Like it's, it's, and you could find so many um, like different perspectives and things because back then, like you were saying, like the only, even um, if I could find someone, their perspective was miles different from the j pouch that I know and the j pouch that a lot of my friends are living with. So it's good now that we have like those different experiences and different outcomes that we can kind of refer to and be able to connect with people. Like, yeah, there are, um, you know, bad times with your condition or bad times with uh, j pouch or whatever, but that's not, you know, that's not necessarily the majority. Mm-hmm, exactly. So let's talk over, let's jump over and talk about flares for a little bit because you pretty much spent that first six years of your life, it sounds like, really in a permanent flare up until you got to the point of surgery. What are some of the things you learned during that time that helped you to keep going and to maybe help pull you out of more severe symptoms? Um, during those times. Do you have any tips or tricks to share? Hmm. With flares, I would say the biggest tip is don't, don't avoid your reality. I tried so I would, I would be so sick, but I would just say, okay, well, I work Monday through Friday. Right now it's Wednesday, you know, on Friday I'll go to the hospital and I would avoid like, I would avoid anything that had to do with my condition. I would avoid, you know, going to the hospital. I would avoid, because to me, I was bad, but at the same time, I knew worse because when I was diagnosed, I was literally um, doing the worst that I could possibly do. So Mm -hmm. I'm like, as long as, you know, I'm not bed bound or as long as I'm not passed out or something, like I can go to work or I can do this and I can, and I tried to do it all. And I never gave myself like an excuse when really having an autoimmune disease, that should be your excuse. That should be like your reason to say, hey, like I need to step away from this or I need to take time off from work or whatever you need to do. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a great tip. I love that. And it actually makes me think of a conversation I had with my gastroenterologist just the other day. I had a my regular follow-up with her the other week. But you mentioned like autoimmune disease should be your excuse, you know, to to go take care of the things you need to. If you need to go to the doctor, go to the doctor. And I am um, I was visiting with my doctor the other day and she was telling me to go get my flu shot because we're in flu shot season. And she's like, look, even if you're not on immunosuppressive drugs right now, even if you're not immunosuppressed, the point is your immune system is already out of whack. I mean, those are my terms, <laughs> but uh, it's like your immune system's already messed up. So go do these things that you know we're saying are going to help. Go get your flu shot, or if you're sick, go to the doctor. And I think we need to just really take that to heart and follow what people are telling us. <laughs> yes. 
So when you're sick, <laughs> don't <laughs> avoid your reality. I love how you said that. What have you done to kind of help um, help yourself to relax or to change or work on your mindset? Because you have a, a great outlook, a great personality. Have you always had that or has that evolved throughout the years as, as you've gone through this journey? I've tried to keep that mentality and I've always tried to at least have like this outlook of hope. But mm -hmm. of course, going through this condition and the ups and downs, it's it's been hard. So I would say the support system has been the main thing because even um, like going into my surgeries, I was very hopeful. I knew that, um, you know, my my ideal outcome. I knew it. I understood it. So I was willing to go through the rough parts to get through a to get to a better life. And I knew that obviously um, recovery from any kind of surgical procedure is hard, but I was willing to take that on. And so when it got to these times when it was much harder and mentally, I was just, I don't want to use the word unstable, but at the same time, it's like very accurate. I was, um, you know, having panic attacks and I was so worried and so scared and so fearful. And the only people who could really get me out of that weren't even the doctors and the nurses that were surrounding me who are medical professionals, but the people who actually got me out of that were my family and my friends who were in the hospital and actively telling me like, hey, we're here, like nothing's going to happen to you. When you can't advocate for yourself, I will advocate for you. That is key, that having that support system really is key. Yeah. How do you do with stress? Do you find that stress is a trigger with your IBD symptoms? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Seems to be a common thread. Right. <laughs> what, do you, what do you do to help manage that what have you how what have you noticed with that and maybe what what are some of the things you do to help manage stress i've i've noticed that like when i get stressed out even for the smallest bit like being in traffic or something if i let it bother me and i think that's a big part of it too um because i was watching which is another thing i watch like a lot of like calming youtube videos or like doctors on youtube who actually explain things um, for example, I was watching a doctor who explained stress and, um, you know, how you can cope with stress and things. And he was saying, like, it's actually not the situation that you're in. It's your outlook. So something could happen to you. But if your outlook is still positive, if your mindset is still, hey, I'll get past this. This is another thing rather than stress, like focusing on it and dwelling on it, then it's not stress. Like that stress becomes a non-stressful factor. So. I do think about that because a lot of things like the smallest things being in traffic, for example, like if I it only it only makes my symptoms worse, worse if I allow it to bother me. So if I'm mm -hmm. sitting in the car in traffic and I'm like listening to music, jamming out, not even worried about it, I'm fine. My symptoms are fine. And technically I'm not stressed. So it's not a stressful situation. But if I allow it to be a stressful situation, I hope this makes sense. Yes. It I does. You go either direction. <laughs> but I just think being conscious go ahead. of sorry. Yeah, but just being conscious of like your mindset and what you allow to be stressful because sometimes I have to tell myself like this is not that important. This is not important at all. But you're like making it such a big deal when it's it's literally nothing like even thinking about traffic like where do you have to go 
You know, sometimes yeah. I'll be going to the store. Like, is the store going to close? No, it's not. <laughs> like, it's 8 a.m. Exactly. I I think that makes perfect sense to me. And I love how you just said, you know, being conscious of your mindset. And it's interesting that that you bring this up and you talk about how it's it's your outlook on that stress that really makes it stress, so to speak, because I've I've read over the years, you know, I've really been trying to focus on my own mindset and trying to not get stressed out over the little things. And there's one book I do remember reading and it was something about like how it was a book about stress, <laughs> but it had said that stress can actually be good for you if your mindset on it is positive. Like if you're channeling that stress to be a, a positive energy that maybe it's helping you to work towards a goal or it's it's doing something beneficial. And same thing, I've you know, I've even come across other books where I've read about stress and traffic even. And it's like, why do we let traffic make us so work, you know, get us so worked up when, you know, maybe that person is having a bad day, that person who just cut you off, or maybe they're having an emergency, who knows? But the point is, just like you said, that store is not going anywhere. It's not closing. <laughs> and and so you've got the time to get there. So just let it let it be and it's it's hard it's not something you can just start doing immediately but the more you practice it it's like yeah this is this is okay i'm i'm not angry that someone cut me off <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly like i couldn't have said it better that is like perfect and just let it be like that is my quote of the year <laughs> let it be not uh, <laughs> not taken from the movie no <laughs> So tell me a little bit, let's talk about your advocacy work. You've been sharing your story and talking about IBD. What compelled you to first start doing that? Was it a natural thing after 2014 when you couldn't find anyone? Or did it take you a while to go ahead and open up and, and share a little bit about yourself? Yeah, um, I think it did kind of naturally take place because the person that I met, um, which like I didn't even think of it as advocacy or anything. I just thought that like, I don't even know what I was thinking when I did it, but how I met the the only person that I met with the J-POP at the time, um, I posted a YouTube video just saying, and this was like so long ago. And I was talking about like, oh, I have to have surgery and kind of like explaining it. And I really didn't understand even what I was talking about at the time, because I really, like mm -hmm. I said, I didn't understand a J pouch and I didn't understand an ostomy, but that was how we connected. So it just made sense, I guess, to, to keep talking about it. And what's it been like since then, since you posted that first video? It's been, it's been very interesting because a lot of things that I've done, I didn't even know that people did it. If that makes <laughs> like, like working, like helping to, um, like mold medicine or, um, like giving feedback on, um, advertisements or, you know, actually having an opportunity to speak to pharma directly and say like, hey, what you're doing is not okay, or hey, what you're doing is great, or giving like my input and my feedback, because in 20, in 2009, when I was diagnosed, I didn't think I mattered. So then coming back and now being in 
2019, 10 years later, and actually like being with the people who produce the drugs, it's just, it's so, it it is mind blowing. Like that is something that, that along with where I am today, like with my condition, Mm -hmm. it's just like two things that are like out of this world, I would have never imagined. Mm -hmm. It's such a good point spot to be able to look back and and say that I I think. Yeah. Now how did you how did you find some of these opportunities? Did they come to you or did you start seeking some of these opportunities to do more advocacy like giving your feedback on the drugs or advertising? Um I think that the first thing I would say the biggest part, I guess, is networking because how I got my first opportunity was through the first friend that I made. She just texted me. She was like, Hey, what are you doing on so and so date? Um, let's like this, they're having a pharma meeting. Let's go. And I, at first I was like, Okay, she's crazy. Like, I don't think anyone would care about what I have to say. But then from that meeting, you know, came more meetings and it wasn't like, um, it was like someone told someone or someone recommended me for most things, for lifestyle things and like things that aren't Crohn's related. If you want opportunities in that space, like if you want to, um, like, for example, I really try to talk about like more things as far as like being a woman and things like that. So I try to like, oh, hey, let's try on bras or something, for example, then that is more of like advertising yourself and reaching out to people. But for the like Crohn's and IBD related thing, I I think that that's all come from word of mouth and someone I knew either recommended me or got me in touch with someone else. Mm-hmm. What tips would you give to someone out there who's listening and maybe thinking, I'd love to advocate more? What would be your main tip to go ahead and start networking and seeking those events to start doing that? Um, yes. And also, well, first, like discovering yourself in your voice, because you don't want to just like mimic everything that's already out there. And you definitely want to like, share your perspective and be original. That way people, um, companies see that you are a value and you're not just an echo, you know? Um, mm-hmm. I think there are so many people that are trying to be in this same space. So it's really all about just being authentic and being you. And it doesn't even matter how many followers followers you have. You could literally have 70 followers, but if you are giving like original perspective, original content and everything, then those companies will reach out to you. They'll see you and they will, um, you know, the opportunities will come. That is great advice. Very good advice. So has being an advocate, has it shaped your view of life and IBD? Yes, it's definitely kind of like changed my mind on a lot of things. Granted, I was never really someone that was like, I was never really strongly against anything. I'm always like, a vi- I I think that I'm a very open-minded person. In my mind, I'm a very open-minded person. Mm-hmm. But um, like, like, for example, just like looking at commercials and stuff, which is like something that we all do. We see like these random commercials pop up for these random drugs. And then- we kind of like roll our eyes when they talk about like, you know, they, they give the disclaimers or they say, you know, certain things and being on the other side of things and actually like working with pharma, it's changed my mind a lot because I see how much work they put into it, you know? And I think that they kind of hit a bad rep 
because people, you know, see it as, I mean, it is a profit, of course, like, but um, you also see how much work goes into making a drug and getting a drug approved and, um, you know, actually getting getting digestible information to patients and seeing what the pharma companies are actually doing in the community and stuff. So it's definitely changed my mind on like a lot of medical related stuff and even being behind the scenes and seeing like what the doctors have to face and, um, you know, what the nurses kind of go through because I've been on both sides of things. So Mm -hmm. that it's giving me, it's helping me to be more, more understanding to a lot of different people and a lot of different kind of companies situations. I think that's a great thing that you just touched on there because I think especially nowadays in our world it's it's so easy to become cynical and to just think, you know, it's just the the big pharma, you know, drug machine and and nobody cares, but just like you're saying seeing both sides of it. The people who are making these drugs really do want to make something that's going to help and hopefully one day cure IBD. And the doctors behind it all, they really do want to help. And so I think touching on that, what you just said, I think it's it's so important to remember that that they are there to help us and to have that understanding. And it's easy to be cynical, but the people out there, they do want to help us whether it's whether they're making money or not big pharma but <laughs> there is a profit but they do want to help so right and it's interesting because like even like I was at a conference one day and we were just like sitting back and um like talking and having drinks and just kind of like all talking amongst like patients and um you know people who worked in different fields and this scientist is it's like mind you it's like midnight and mm-hmm. like this scientist is just like asking, um, I think it was an HIV advocate at the time. And she was asking him, what do you think that we could do to make um, basically like make your condition more visible and make people talk about it more? But the fact that she was thinking about this at 12 a.m. tells you that it is something that she's passionate about. She's not getting paid at 12 a.m. <laughs> like, <laughs> at 12 a.m. But she's sitting here like thinking about it and the wheels are still turning. So it just shows you that like, yes, like big pharma, but then like, think about the person behind it. Think about all the people that are pushing for you to win. Yeah. I love that little story. (laughs) So what's been the most surprising thing for you about opening up and sharing your own story over the years? Um, to be honest and to be very frank, I'm surprised that people care. I'm still shocked Uh this day. I never feel like I've never necessarily felt like my story stood out or that my story was important. But then I realized that it is like the bigger picture and that there are so many patients who are out there living my truth and living my story who just aren't saying anything. And, you know, no matter what part of it it is, whether it's um, like being a new ostomy patient or maybe being a woman of color um, going in the healthcare field or what have you, like whatever stage they're at, um, you know, I'm representing someone. So I try to be conscious of that. I love that. And honestly, every story is so important. Tell me, what is the biggest hurdle that you've had since having IBD? I think navigating and trying to balance 
my condition with life. And obviously, like, I've mastered it now. But back in, like, 2009 through, I mean, probably up until I had my J pouch, I had no life. And I hate to think that there are people out there who are living the way that I was living. I wouldn't even call it living. Like, I, I was not living. And to be at this stage, I'm so grateful. But just imagine like waking up every day, which of course you can imagine it, but <laughs> living, who's not like, living with Crohn's or colitis, like you're waking up every day just to barely get by and just to suffer and just to like experience these symptoms and like be bleeding and barely, barely functional. Like it's the worst kind of life to live. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you've been able to come out of that and really be able to navigate life now and and live life. Yeah. Because what, dif- what a difference. For sure. So if people want to keep up with you and follow your IBD journey, where are all of the places that they can do that? So I am on Instagram. Um, Sean Bethay underscore. I might have to spell that. Not sure. <laughs> <laughs> You can spell it. Go ahead and spell it, but I'll put it in the show notes too. Cool. Thank you. So John, S-H-A-W-N, Empathy, B-E-T-H-E-A, underscore. Um, I'm also on Twitter at the same, um, YouTube, same name, and then Facebook. Um, I'm on there as, I think, Chronically Strong blog. So yeah, definitely connect. And you do, you just mentioned it, but Chronically Strong blog, you do have a blog as well, correct? Yes. Uh, chronicallystrong.com. I'm on there talking about the most embarrassing things. So definitely. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's just an embarrassing disease. <laughs> it's the, these are the things we have to talk about if we're going to talk about uh, Crohn's and ulcerative colitis. <laughs> so true. <laughs> Well, it has been a pleasure talking with you today, Is and we covered a lot. Is there anything that I did not ask that you wanted to share with the audience? Um, I mean, I think that we covered it all. Just like know that obviously through my story and through the stories of so many others, that if you're struggling right now, that does not have to be your reality. You do not have to settle. Um, definitely seek better, like always strive for better. I love that. What a great way to end, seek better. Thank you so much, Sean, for visiting with me today and sharing your story. I really appreciate you taking the time to visit with me. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have an IBD story, either as a patient or a family member that you'd like to share as a guest on this podcast, Or if you have a topic you'd like to hear about, send me an email at Crohn'sFitnessFood at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about me and my Crohn's journey, follow me on Instagram using at Crohn'sFitnessFood or visit my blog for in-depth articles about my struggles and victories with Crohn's through diet, fitness, and lifestyle at www.Crohn'sFitnessFood.com. And finally, remember, be strong, be grateful, and be the warrior that you are.